Welcome to the Enneagram 2.0 podcast. I'm Beatrice Chestnut. And I'm Urano Paez. And today we have part two of our in-depth conversation with um, Enneagram expert extraordinaire, Russ Hudson. Yay, super happy again, Russ, that we can have this talk. Yes, yes. Um, we, we had part one, um, which was a, a general discussion of what the Enneagram is for and what it means to be doing any Enneagram informed inner work, uh, different things that we teach about that and think are really important for people to know. Um, in, in this conversation, we're going to be focusing on a topic that's more about theory, more about understanding a particular dimension of the Enneagram system, and that is the centers of intelligence. Um, uh, we thought it'd be really helpful for people to um, hear what Russ has to say and, and what, what the conversation that we'll have with Russ about the centers, a lot because I think sometimes people think they know all there is to know about the centers and they don't really know all that there is to know. And I think all three of us are grounded in the Gurdjieff work, which is uh, which Gurdjieff had a lot to say about the centers of intelligence. He didn't talk about the nine types, but he did talk about uh, man one, man two, and man three, which referred to uh, people who are grounded in, in one of the three centers differently. Um, and, um, and you both have done a lot of uh, work in fourth way schools. I, I'm more of this, uh, I, I know about Gurdjieff through reading books, but you both have really lived it. So um, uh, I'm really interested to hear all of you have to share uh, and all of our reflections about the centers of intelligence and how they might be, what, what people need to know about the centers to be doing high quality, deep Enneagram work. Yeah, so uh, it is theory. It's a very central part of the Enneagram theory. And at the same time, I know that both Russ and, I, and us do um, very practical, experiential things with our students when it comes to developing the capacity to be in off centers and, you know, discerning between them and learning how to come from the right center. Uh, we have an online workshop on centers that we intend to be all experiential or a lot experiential. And Russ, I, we know how much work you do in your retreats with your students uh, on all of that. Sometimes you all also do uh, retreats only in one of the centers, like the body center and so forth. Mm -hmm. yes. So uh, I, I want to I start, Russ, by saying that my personal experience is that when I see what we have done with the Enneagram in the contemporary Enneagram movement, when it comes to the center's teachings, it's when I feel the most embarrassed because <laughs> it's like it's so simplistic what is being taught when it comes to the original Gurdjieffian teachings. Yes, very much so. And... Uh... You know, there's been development and evolution of some of the teachings, even from, you know, when Gurdjieff first presented these teachings in Russia at the beginning of the 20th century. But, um, you know, there, I don't see personally how we can do any meaningful work with the Enneagram without understanding the centers. Yeah. Um, and a few basic things. One thing, a type is not a center. Yeah. 
Right. You don't have to go to a type to have a center. Yes. You know, I don't need to suddenly become a two to have a, have a heart. Right. You don't have to come to five to have a head. Yes. All the types of all the centers and human beings have all the centers in us. Yes. Uh, but the whole thing is, I understand it. And I'd be curious how, how you two frame it. I said, the first thing is one of Gurdjieff's teachings is that when we're fixated in our personality, we're in no center. Mm-hmm. We're in what he called the formatory apparatus. We're in the side effect of the misuse and scrambling of our centers. Mm-hmm. So it makes no sense if I'm running around as a fixated four saying in, I'm in my heart from Gurdjieff's point of view. No. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That first we have to find the centers. Yes. Right. We first have to, to actually find them, sense them. Then there's a process of activating them. Yes. And then there is the great work of beginning to allow them to be integrated with each other. And that becomes challenging because our usual sense of self is based in a maladaptive relationship between the centers. Right. So that if they actually start to come into balance, I feel like the, the me I know is disappearing. Mm-hmm. It's a very strange thing. Even as there's a more direct experience that I am, the one that I thought I was is fading out. So that can be scary for people. But that's again why uh, it's why people say you don't need understanding. No, we need a lot of understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Framework, clarity, orientation makes a huge difference. Yes. I, I love what you said about how we're not in any center because that explains how sometimes we explain to people, okay, if you're a body type at the beginning of the path, if you're an eight, nine or one, it doesn't necessarily mean you're in touch with your body. <laughs> if you're a heart type, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have a closed heart or that your heart isn't, you know, somehow uh, not really fully accessible uh, in a certain way. And same, same with the head. You can be misusing that head center or not really there. Um, and that's one of the things we need to learn. It doesn't mean if you're a body type, doesn't mean you're all in touch with your body in a positive way. Right. As an example, I just run into all these people all the time and they keep making the cliche, you got to get out of your head. You got to get out of your head and into your heart. And people doing that are in neither. Uh, (laughs) And and the thing is, as I say, what you're, I think what those people are saying is you have to get free from your chattering mind, but your chattering mind is the symptom that your heart, your head center is not functioning. Right. Yeah. It means become, your head center is just on idle, but it's not really switched on. Yeah, we come from the very same perspective, Russ. Again, and uh, you mentioned the for formative. Uh, how do you call it? In formatory. Formatory center. Formatory apparatus. Yes. Yeah. So Gurdjieff would call, for instance, the formatory apparatus of the head center, the part of the head center that just repeats paradigms and teachings that have been obtained you know, yeah. at school, from family, or from media, and as we know, many times from fake news. Now, we that is just repeating without any true capacity of uh, using the head as it can help us. Now, all centers we teach have that similar thing, in, and yeah. so... Uh, we try to teach, at least in a few more advanced courses, 
how there are different parts to each of the centers. And uh, in Gurdjieff, he would call the outermost and the innermost parts of the centers. And he would call those portions. And we, we, we really need to get there, in my view, to do the work on the centers. But perhaps it's a little bit complex to talk about it here at this podcast. Only that maybe we can say that many times when people think they are using one particular center, they are just in the surface, the shallow part of it, the outermost part of it, and therefore using that in a reactive and conditioned way. Yes, and, the automatic part of the center. Yeah, which is, part. he would call the moving part of that center. It's yeah. very mechanical, right? And uh, that is sometimes what people, all that people are in touch with. Yeah. Like imagine a head type just using the head in a very mechanical way or a heart type using the heart just to, um, you know, as a reflex of what's happening with other people's emotions. Yes, or... ex exactly. When I, for example, when I teach about it, I try to find language for this that softens some of the complexity of the British model. But I will talk with students about, for example, heart center, where everybody's interested in the heart center, that our outer, the outer part of our heart reacts. Mm -hmm. it's, it's our emotions as reactions to people, situations, <laughs> flattery or insult yes. <laughs> on the news, yes. somebody bringing up a political figure we don't like, whatever, right. we're reacting. Emotional and, reactivity. Yeah. Exactly. It's like a layer of the heart. It's like a stormy surface of a sea. <laughs> through, through presence, you learn to drop in and there are deeper layers to the heart. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, as we, as we sense into the deeper layers of the heart, it has the effect of reducing the reactivity. And with that reduced reactivity, you could say the heart becomes more available and transparent and the deeper parts of it are the part that can manage the difficult reactions mm. the, the kindness patience endurance strength courage these things tend to come as as a liberation of the deeper part of the heart and then there's a long period of time where they become what we're living from again but again to help people discriminate between we talk about the totality of the heart in a very sloppy way. And you might hear something like, oh, just follow your heart. But if you're just following your reactions, you know what? That's what you're already doing. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. I, I don't know anyone. I have not met a single human being yet who makes their decisions based on rational discernment and judgment. Mm -hmm. People go with their feelings and then justify it afterwards with various stories. But to really be able to have your heart and mind aligned. working together, listening to each other, aligned, that's an extraordinary human accomplishment. Yeah, but also in the depth within each center, right? Yes. Sometimes in my effort to explain, uh, you know, things in simpler terms like you try to do, I, I just um, make reference to the fact that, for instance, we all use just a tiny little fraction of our brains. Yes. And if we want to use more of that, we need to work with more sophisticated ways of using the brain, right? Which means not only being reactive or just mechanical with the brain. And the same for the heart. Like, 
um, it's a bit shocking for people to know how much they are not using those organs, actually, within its center, right? Yeah, yeah, only a small part. You know, I always remember the first part of the work, Mr. Gurdjieff said, we're trying to become a human being without quotation marks. Yes. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the big journey for a long yes. time. And as you said, as we actually find the centers, as they start to come into alignment, what is possible for us in our human journey, we don't really know the limits of it. Mm -hmm. There have been people far ahead of us on the path who've reported back some of the things they've seen or realized or, or come to experience. But for us at first, there's a lot of purification, cleanup, liberating, activating and liberating the centers, and then allowing certain deeper processes to come forward, which don't come to forward and we're locked in these old habitual relationships between the centers. Right. I, I said no, we get no advantage by playing favorite with the centers, for example. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It doesn't help us. Right. And then people sometimes also get almost proud, you know, silly proud pride uh, around being having one of the centers as dominant, you know, which is an, another risk. But yeah, I guess that this. Um, you know, business of discerning where we are coming from is also very important when it comes to creating the links, the, 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 the necessary links between the centers and then how to avoid uh, one center stealing energy from the other, like Gurdjieff would say. And the wrong work of the centers, you know, yes. like doing with the heart, what should be done more appropriately with the head or doing with the head, what should be done with the body. Um, and um, I remember some interesting um, examples of like the body center is, is, is the center that should be activated when driving or when translating from one language to another, we have, uh, we've worked with some excellent translators and Uranio um, helped me see at one point, that's a body center function, not a heart center or a head center. And we've seen some translators who aren't quite as, as skilled, who aren't using the body as, as the main center that's, that's activated when that uh, process is happening. And similarly, when we're, emphatically stating an, an old opinion we've said about a thousand times, there's no head center involved. Right. It's right. all instinct and, and emotion. Yes. Right. We're not, head center is out of the picture. So, you know, there's just endless ways that we see that. I also, and to your point, um, for example, with the body, being able to function might require the intelligence of the center in the beginning phases, but it quickly goes automatic. Mm -hmm. And I, I've shared before, I've coached star athletes, Olympic gold medalists, who will, or are in grief about the fact that they weren't present for some of the greatest moments of their lives. Wow. Even though they were doing this magnificent athletic performance in a strange way, they weren't there. Mm -hmm. and so this brings us to another point. You, if you say what, you need one center to notice anything, two centers to have the beginnings of objectivity, and three centers to have any transformation. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, and being uh, only a one or two center being is being subhuman. 
as yeah. Nicole said or quoting Gurdjieff. But um, it sounds like the centers are more in competition rather than cooperation when yes. we are operating from ego and we need to overcome that. So how, how do you teach this particularly? Well, my method has been, and again, drawing from things that I was taught and that worked for me, um, that, that if we're not here in the body in some sense, it's going to be very hard, very hard to drop into the deeper heart or the deeper mind that you need some degree. The body is the most reliable for verifying that I'm at least to some degree here. Mm -hmm. You got to kind of, so we teach sensation and breath as all spiritual traditions do just to get here. And, you know, in alchemical terms, the body is the retort is the mm -hmm. alchemical container, but the ingredients are going to go in. But if you got no container, they just spill out on the table. So, so is it true for people rendering the container by presencing the body, right? Saying. Is it for people to have a sensation of the centers uh, to start with and know where they are and know how much energy they have? Is it this? Well, I try at first, I get them first to practice just sensation of the body. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in the diamond approach, they do the Kath meditation where you yeah. put your attention in that in the belly center. But I just more do it Gurdjieffian style and have people sense different parts of the body and the breath and then to just keep relaxing and dropping into it and see what happens. But I think then I will bring them to the heart that the heart tends to start to reveal its nature when it feels the underlying support. Okay, there's somebody here now. Right. There is some embodiment. There's there's <laughs> the body has the heart's back, so to yeah. speak. And mm -hmm. so the the tremendous sensitivity of the heart can begin to unfold once there's that foundation. And I always try to have, as they do in Gurdjieff work, that people just begin to discriminate the difference between feeling the energy of the heart center and sensation, the mm. intelligence or energy of the body. Mm -hmm. And that the two can both be there in any experience, but they're distinguishable. Mm -hmm. However, much later, we learn to blend them, but for at first you have to get the parts there before there's anything that can be blended. Right. Yeah. I want to make a comment now as a Brazilian. Yeah. Um, I I so admire English language in this in the sense that you guys have two words mm -hmm. called um, you know feeling and sensing to mm -hmm. a way, and we don't have these two words um, mm -hmm. as different ones in. Portuguese, Spanish, and Latin languages. But then I see expressions that for me are very unfortunate that you guys use. One is felt sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to me, it brings back the confusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think what they mean by that is, is what, they, what they're trying to get at is sensing what you're feeling instead of thinking about what you're feeling. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I think they mean. But I... This is another important point. We can find and be quite precise with our terminology, our names for the passions, our names for anything. But no matter how precise we are, we have to unpack what we mean by those words. We have to, we have to help people feel into what we're pointing to by that term. 
And I find that true for really any terminology we use with the Enneagram. I will never just say, well, you know, that's gluttony and then not explain. Yes. In various examples, what I think gluttony means, or this is another great example. What does felt sense mean? Mm -hmm. The, The problem with language and the problem with our contemporary society, and this is the five thing that we think if we memorized a word, we know something, <laughs> but not necessarily. Uh, when we know in our direct experience what that word is referring to, now we've got something to work with. Right. So, so I, I really work a long time and slowly with students to start to help them discriminate these different realms of experience and to see how those realms are interacting within their their lives right um, and it takes time you know we can't do it quickly unfortunately yeah It'd be great if we could yeah <laughs> the so, initial insight might be amazing and very quick but then learning to stay with that that's another matter yeah i remember in my late 20s early 30s when i was going to school for to become a psychotherapist and in gestalt class Um, I remember getting really irritated when they would constantly be asking what I was feeling in my body because I wasn't feeling anything. (laughs) The answer is still the same, you know, because I so wasn't in touch with my body. And, and, uh, and so I think it's really important, like you're saying that we start with, with feeling the body. And, um, and I always remember something a spiritual counselor used to say to me, we're incarnated for a reason. Um, we're in bodies for a reason and therefore we need to start with feeling and, and developing greater consciousness of ourselves and our bodies. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. So one of the reasons why I still in longer retreats employ Gurdjieff movements. Hmm. Right. That's they, your are, yeah. they demand yes. that you sense your body and. Yeah. They, it was such a hellish experience for me. That's a great loss of life. I was trying so hard. I could not, but there's, there was, something. I could see those feet down there. They're way down below. And I just yeah. really trying, but my mind, that head center can't do it. Yes. Yeah. So it's I had to actually let go of that to find the body, but I will sometimes do limited kind of Gurdjieff movements for my students to give them that experience. Also that, those kind of exercises if you're doing seated meditation which by the way is a very good thing to do mm-hmm. you can fool yourself though mm. you can think you're very present very relaxed this or that and you're just daydreaming you're just mm. out to lunch yeah but when you do something like gurdjieff movements or tai chi or anything like that you can't fool yourself yes if right. you are not present there in your body in the flow of sensation the movement breaks down and yeah and so it pushes, this is another place where it pushes against the structures. Your ego cannot do the movements, but you can. Yes. So yes. sometimes people don't like them for that reason. Yes. They yeah. reveal a lot. Yeah, but yeah. There are kind of methods and things that come from different traditions that work with those kind of methods. Yes. So it's sophisticated work. It takes, requires time. It's complex. We need to be very committed. And yet, here I am now going to ask a very indecent question for all three of us. Indecent. Yeah. And that is, can we take like five minutes to unpack just this tiny little bit of what those, let's call three intelligences are to our listener? 
like maybe even talking about what they are not, you know, as a contrast. Uh, I know it's very hard, but maybe we can try. Yeah. Like, what is to you, Russ, what is truly the body center, which Gurdjieff never talked about, you know, he would, he would talk about, you know, instinct, uh, moving, sexual centers, but, but not the body. But we do talk about the body center in the contemporary Enneagram uh, movement. So what is it and what it isn't? Yeah, for me, one way I answer that is, the, as he says explicitly in In Search of the Miraculous, the body center is a shorthand for three centers, mm -hmm. right? And you know what three they are. <laughs> and so, yeah, he's saying it's a shorthand of just thinking of them because more or less to most people, and certainly in the early stages of the work, they, we can think of them as functioning as more of a unity, at least in where they're operating. Yeah. But I think of the body center as the intelligence that gives me the ability to live on planet Earth. Hmm. It's the intelligence for nature, for the natural processes and functions that are the body of providing what I need to exist. But they also is the center where I get the felt sense <laughs> of existing. It, mm -hmm. it, it, it's the fundamental beingness. It is the center that provides beingness and whatever that means, and that will keep developing as we keep learning more about that center. So it has different, all the centers have more than one function. So it provides the sense of existing and being when we're not present in the belly center, we don't feel we exist. So then we keep running personality patterns. And as long as they're running, at least something's happening. So if we feel like we, I, I react, therefore I exist. I have, I'm talking to myself, therefore I exist. I'm having angry opinions, therefore I exist. Right? But the beingness is, comes from the body and also the intelligence for life on planet Earth. Um, right. I would say that's the shorthand for that one. Right, we agree. I think we, we say similar things. And it, it, uh, to me, it's almost like the capacity to sense roots underneath the feet grounding us to earth or even you know the capacity to totally finish incarnating uh, after we are born or uh, which for many of us happens not only in the three months after birth you know we need to keep doing it or surrendering to gravity although that's also more like a, a capacity of being present for any of us but um, it also has to do with establishing our territories and uh, gradually, you know, having... I think we can also talk, in my view, about some values that come from the belly and not oh, from sure. the heart, like honor, uh, like congruence, integrity. Or integrity, or, you know, a sense of justice. Uh, Confidence. Confidence, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, just uh, commitment, responsibility, yeah. and things yeah. that come from the belly for any of us. Do you agree with yeah. this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Those are kind of belly-based values. They're probably echoing in some way in the heart center. Mm -hmm. But yes, I, I would agree with that. And you touch on one other thing, which is we're going to get very esoteric, is that body is vehicle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a vehicle through which consciousness can accomplish certain things through which certain ingredients 
which otherwise would be very distinct, can be harmonized and come together. Yeah. And in the more esoteric schools of the work, we are, we're living so that through this body, we may give birth to another vehicle. Right. And it's like, without being really embodied, spiritual experiences get very chaotic. And what Gurdjieff called the, the subtle bodies will never get crystallized. Exactly. Right? They won't be there as our, the center of our experiences. And by the way, it takes studying the, the four bodies, uh, as in not only Gurdjieff, but many spiritual traditions talk about, to, to understand the centers as yeah. a model of levels of awareness in itself. Like knowing that the higher centers get activated when we realize, so to say, the lower centers one by one, there is a hierarchy of the centers here. And we never get to fully own one center uh, and then just stay there. We, we spiral up going to the very next center, which will be then in control of that previous center. Yeah, and, and as you say, different spiritual traditions speak to this. It's explicit in Kabbalah. It's explicit in, uh, in Sufism uh, is the meaning of resurrection. Yes, term yeah. resurrection right. in Christianity. Right. Uh, many, many traditions. And Hamid Almas talks also about that, that after work with a particular level of the soul, it, it becomes a diamond body, a diamond mm -hmm. form of that level. So these are, yeah, we're not the only ones saying this. <laughs> right. yeah. We have some good backup. Yes. Anything else on the body center to be unpacked? I just say, as I said, it's for a living life. It's also the part of us that is part of nature. Mm -hmm. It's part of the part of us through which we know the intelligence of the earth, mm -hmm. the intelligence of nature. So in, for example, many indigenous traditions, the wisdom of the body is held in such high regard because it is the intelligence that helps us live harmoniously with mm -hmm. the, the intelligence and laws of nature and the natural world. So I right. think that is an important part too. So it's like honoring matter. And yeah. maybe, maybe it would be fair to say that body types, while they have their, they are most prone to some issues as we all are, maybe they are less prone to the issue of becoming lunatics as in, yeah. uh, to use Gurdjieffian language, <laughs> yeah. right? They're not going to be, well, you know, they have their various forms of getting lost to be sure, but there's, yeah. there's a groundedness and a, a common sense that we can find in them. That's for sure. Yeah. Right. So what about the heart center? What can we say in five minutes? Why don't you start Russ? Mm, well, it, obviously I think people just intuit. There's something very important about the heart center. Everybody, you know, if I, do a, a workshop. I'm going to do all about the head center. A few people sign up. If I said, we're going to work on the heart center, whoosh, everybody wants to come. To <laughs> they all want the heart, right? Mm. Well, why? Um, the heart has functions as many things. It's the seat of the qualities of feeling that are crucial for our existence. Uh, our deeper heart, 
has many of the qualities that make life worth living. Mm -hmm. uh, kindness, patience, courage, um, you know, peace. It's, that's one thing I often will tell my students. I said that the deeper heart is not locatable. Mm -hmm. You can locate, if you're angry, you can feel it's in certain muscles in your body and so forth. Where's peace? Hmm. Where's kindness? Mm -hmm. Well, then we have the different levels of the heart. Uh, That's what I'm saying, right. Different, par uh, different, different uh, bodies, as we were yes. talking about. Because they're bigger. <laughs> but back but to the lower... The heart is, not, is bringing qualities of feeling that aren't what we usually think of as our emotions. Yeah, right. yeah. I think that some of these emotions are not achievable using the physical heart only, actually. But, no, no, not. But, but then back to the lower uh, emotional center, um, maybe we could talk also about a, a basic human capacity for connection, empathy, mm -hmm. for uh, including the other in the picture. Nurturing, nurturing. like that. Yeah, yeah. Knowing whether we register something as good or bad, I like, I don't like. Like and dislike, yes. That's, that's yeah. a good one. And the capacity to be more in touch with the human uh, emotions, which is oh. important or not. It, it, well, one thing I notice is very paradoxical, but perhaps it's the way the higher center appears in the lower part of it is what um, Gurdjieff called wish. Huh. Mm. Mm -hmm. that the little spark appears in our ordinary heart that is our wish for awakening mm -hmm. our desire to serve mm -hmm. our mm -hmm. now that is liberated in flowers into something much greater but even in an ordinary egoic human walking around a surly teenager <laughs> wondering why nobody likes me <laughs> that, that little spark can be there ah, so yeah. there's that little flame it's sometimes called the little flame mm. appears in the ordinary heart is that wish to become who and what i really am mm -hmm. i think i think russ that it's also something connected not only to inner work like i see how heart types they connect to studying and to learning by that emotional portion uh, that is like the pleasure of, of learning and knowing oh, yeah. and the thing like you know the emotional connection to something that is being learned well i like the i like the way you frame that sort of idea of wish or desire i think in a kind of a positive way coming from the heart because what i was thinking of also is how the three centers are loosely correlated to the three buddhist poisons you know how craving is the sort of it's yeah. craving is is the the heart and aversion is the head and ignorance is the uh, is the body or you know again very loosely correlated but there is craving or you know something that we oh, yeah. sort of that lower desire that leads it gets us into trouble um but i like that that it's also the wish for something higher the wish for potentially self-realization right yeah, that wish can definitely get hooked to the wrong wagon train. <laughs> yeah, that's a good it way happens. to put it. It does happen. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely true. Another thing, well, relating also what you were saying, Aranio, it's I, I have noticed that to be interested is heart. Mm -hmm. Ah, yeah. Interested in something. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It means my heart turns to it. It's yeah. not merely an intellectual or mental thing. To be interested, the heart is involved. 
Yes. The wish to know more about something or to learn about something. You can tell, like if you're, someone's telling you a story and if you're interested, you're heartfully involved with what they're saying. You're listening in a more powerful yeah. way. If and you're it, not interested, it care not also, right? Caring. Um, yeah. While for body types, it's like committed and maybe for head types, it's, it starts more as, uh, as being uh, positively curious. You know, I'm also thinking of something, um, while you guys were talking, I thought of what Brene Brown talks about as being wholehearted, mm -hmm. um, which has something to do with being vulnerable in connection. Um, yes. That may be a slightly deeper part of the heart beyond what we talked about in terms of emotional reactivity being the very surface. Yeah. Well, I, where it kind of gets blurry between these levels is, is you know, when we're just being reactive, we call it being vulnerable. Right. Which is a sort of negative connotation. It's this is going to hurt. I'm going to get injured. I'm going to get wounded by this. Oh, good, good point. But as I also teach my students, to be transformed is to be affected. Yeah. Ego is working triple time to not be affected. Mm -hmm. But it is through the heart, being affected in the heart, being touched in the heart, which can happen for just an ordinary heart that the transformational process begins, which is why I think a lot of people don't really get serious about a path of inner work till they get their butt kicked sufficiently by life. Right. Like fashion. It's like you realize you're not going to win this. <laughs> right. But then yeah. I think the heart center uh, has something about being able to, to feel and stay with feelings only without doing anything about them mm -hmm. and experiencing them to the end. And they get to define when the end happens. And also, <laughs> you know, not thinking or processing too much, you know, just being in feelings. And I must say, I learned so much from this friend by my side here about that. The heart center. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, there's so many elements to it. I think, uh, it related to the idea of wish, it's the wish to be myself. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. Which is the, such an engine. Now that can get flipped over in all kind of narcissistic conundrums and yeah. does. But it's also in the core of that is wanting to know who I am, wanting to be the truth of who I am. That's not a belly thing. It's not mm -hmm. really a head thing. Yeah, it's identity just, is more, more heart. Yeah. And what about the head center then? How would you start? Oh, you don't need that. All the <laughs> move your head. Just chop yeah. it off. Yeah. Good luck. It's our head. Just feel. No. Good luck if you do this, right? God help you. Yeah. <laughs> I would tell my I sometimes say naughty things and I'll say, you know, when somebody says, I don't need my head, I just want to feel. Basically, that means I've made a decision to not know something that I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's just that. It, 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 so just out the gate, the head center is where knowing arrives. <laughs> Could be a way to put it. Mm -hmm. The capacity to know something, the the capacity to understand something. Mm -hmm. Also, for me, the head center has a lot to do with navigation, mm. making decisions. Mm -hmm even though we don't usually make decisions based on our head center, the mind presents the options, presents the choices. Mm -hmm. You can do this, we could do this, or that's a possibility, that's a possibility. Mm -hmm. But I think then the decision usually gets made by the belly and or the heart. Mm -hmm. um, Interesting. 
but I think the head center presents both. It's also the way the head center also, as you were mentioning earlier, is the plays a role in discernment. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it's both seeing things more accurately or the movement towards seeing things more accurately, which entails seeing things I didn't see before. Mm-hmm. It's also seeing through what I thought was there that isn't. Mm-hmm. Right. I think I think the head center is what helps us the most with embracing paradoxes and and complexity, sophistication that is very much needed uh, when doing inner good quality inner work. Like we were talking in the previous episodes, we need that, and it's yet you know hard to get there because we need to expand our horizons and you know break paradigms. And while the you know when the head center is poorly used then we fall into these paradigms but when it's you know used in in all its splendor then it's the very solution to the problem yeah yeah it takes us beyond just simple either or yes and no thinking it's not all black and white you know i i i find and i've taught that you know, it's our inner simplicity allows us to engage complexity mm-hmm. and that the avoidance of complexity requires a great deal of inner complication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in a more basic way, I think it's also about simply studying. You know, so yeah. many people just say things yeah. that they have heard somewhere and they don't go study really. They don't learn it, no context, no they just heard something. something. Right. And, and the same way, like getting informed about things that are happening in life and on, on the earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it, I think the Head Center also provides tools and, and method for the, what the heart wants. Mm-hmm. Let's say I want to be a healer and I go, well, well, I go to medical school and I learn stuff so that when there's a sick child in front of me, it's not, I don't just care about the child. I know things to do that might be helpful. Right. So, so there's a way in which when that's happening, there's, it's the dawn of a cooperative relationship between the heart and the head. Right. They can be, as we said, at odds sometimes where all my common sense is saying, don't go over there. Don't date that person. Don't take that job. (laughs) Some emotional reason I want to. So I go do it anyway. And I think the, the, the very spirit of exploration, invention, or research, innovation, innovation, and I've heard you mention this word a few times, Russ, as connected to the head center, curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Openness. Mm-hmm. Openness to seeing things, openness to possibility. Imagination, yeah. Exactly, yeah. It has, it's the nature of the head center to be open. When it's closed, this means it's not functioning. Right. Right. So what what would be, just in, heading to the finish here, what would be the very first step, in your view, for someone willing to do better work on the centers? Well, I tend to take them in order. Mm-hmm. It's following the path of evolution, right? Go up the tree, mm-hmm. start started the foundation yeah uh, and so at first an exploration of of breath sensation finding out the difference between just running around doing stuff and inhabiting what you're doing mm-hmm. including meditation right 
are you just sitting there or are you inhabiting the the moment that that practice and if, if you got a little of that under your belt then begin to explore the deeper heart in relation to one's reactions to see one's reactions to see how much reactions are determining so much of my possibilities my habitual likes and dislikes things like that and to meet them with both courage determination and a good dollop of compassion mm. compassion is not always softness mm, no yeah yeah compassion is the heart seeing the truth in relation to what's not truth and how the untruth is creating suffering mm, beautiful mm. love that so, so being willing to illuminate my human condition with that drive to be with the truth of my experience awakens compassion for myself and ultimately for others too mm -hmm. it's different than pity or sentimentality totally right and then we also teach how important um using using the inner observer as something connected to all three centers or even being above them um uh, looking at all three and helping us tell the difference of where we are coming from and how much the centers are aligned mm -hmm. and how much we are inhabiting all three which is you know what is needed even for the first degree of true presence right yeah it's awakening the awakeness it's awakening the capacity for awareness and i i agree because you can you can be aware of body but you notice that's what aware of body is not body. Mm -hmm. You can be aware of heart, right? Feelings, and you know in that moment that what's aware of your feelings is not your feelings. Right. And you can be aware of your mind. You can even be aware of the properties of mind. And in that moment, you're aware that it's not mind that's being aware of mind exactly. Right. So you know that also is is a parallel development. And I think in terms of the head center, I just encourage people to be curious again, open mm -hmm. and receptive and less interested in our old opinions. We know what they are already. Why go there again? <laughs> right. Yeah. And then also observe when one center is stealing energy from the other, when it's starting to do an operation that is not primarily, you know, what it's meant for what it's meant for yeah so yes observing all of that and learning how to you know how how to do life differently right? absolutely it's it, then there's also a long process and this is what i think you're speaking to here after we're learning to be in the centers more at first we can't do a lot because as soon as we do we jump back into our old habits mm -hmm. but as we develop more capacity to stay put with with our activated centers we start learning to rethread our functioning we mm. start to speak from a different place we move from a different place we work from a different place and that's a that's also part of the integration process right. where we're learning to live our life without jumping back to the old patterns habits and programming as soon as there's something to be done Yes, Uranio is helping me get more present in that sense. And a lot of times it's reminding me to slow down because mm -hmm. one of my things is I can start moving very quickly, walking very fast. And that's one of the ways I lose presence. So um, he's helping. Urban dwellers. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have some excuse, but but in the end, yeah, it just comes down to do I want to work on it, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Russ. Super useful. For, super nice. And thank you for your generosity and letting us be greedy and have two discussions with you on two different topics. Um, and now we want to invite you to participate with us in our top five. What is our top five today, B? Today, our top five is the top five most important things to keep in mind when working with the Enneagram to do, I would say, high quality inner work. Um, and we have our special guest star participating mm. on this top five, so it will be extra special. Russ Hudson is here um, to, to, to talk about his top five. Um, Exciting. As yes, yes, yes. How fun. Okay, so Ranio, do you want to start? Or, okay, I can start. And then maybe start. we'll have Russ go and then I'll go. Yeah, my number five is study both the typology and the symbol with its laws. You know, never lean on only one of these two dimensions. Try to take in both, even if you, if you find it hard in the beginning. Okay, what's your number five, Russ? Well, I said uh, for number five, uh, know your inner critic. Ooh, good one. Good He's one. Always ready to steal your work. Good and one. We, it won't we, help you in the long run. Yeah, yeah, we say that all the time, that if people start criticizing themselves, they just go back to, to, to the first step on the path. It, because it just keeps the whole thing in business. Exactly. It keeps the ego in charge. Great one. Um, I, I wrote work on being present. And by that, I meant like activating the inner observer. Um, so meditative practice is really important to sort of work the ability to self-observe um, and to start to create a space between the inner witness and that which is observed. Okay, I'll start with my number four. My number four, similar to, you know, the same kind of thing that you talked about, Russ, is to know sloth in all of us. I think that sloth, uh, although it's the passion for type nine, it's also very central to what happens with all of us when it comes to inner work. You know, we forget, we don't prioritize, we don't make it a, a good enough habit and then I think it's, it, you know, sloth, we will meet it all the way in all levels that we may be in. Like we, we will have just this resistance against doing the work we need to do. Yeah, good one. Okay. And I like that sloth. We're always in danger of falling asleep. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, my second one is this isn't about polishing old ideas of ourselves. It is about discovering who and what we really are. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. You know, so we can get hung up on the definitions and so forth, but we learn them to see through them. Yes. Yes. So, so often when people uh, do Enneagram work, it becomes a way of upgrading the personality or being more functional in life or having a kind of superficial sense of well-being um, so that you don't really have to work on knowing more who you really are. That's, yeah. that's a really important one. 
Um, I said, um, I'm liking your guys better than your, your lists better than mine, but my, my, my number four out of five is study theory and concepts in depth. Um, you know, like we just talked about the centers in this podcast, um, know what the passions are, understand what the fixations are, understand what the subtype is. Um, and, and, you know, consult a variety of sources, because I think sometimes that helps. Sometimes I've heard people who've maybe only studied with one person ever, and they're using an outmoded view of kind of uh, theory that I think isn't really, you know, the main point uh, anymore, that kind of thing. So I would say learn your theory and your concepts so that you can apply them well. Beautiful. In line with what you said, the, my number three is when learning the theory, you know, telling the difference between priorities and nice to have or do things. So I think we need to really focus on fewer challenges when it comes to inner work and choose wisely. And I'd say that it's a great way to do that, to focus on the passion and the fixation of your type. Uh, we also advocate doing both subtype and instinct work, but I think that staying with the passion and the fixation is very, very important without getting too distracted with other uh, things uh, connected to types. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What's yeah I, my next one is very similar to what you just said, Ronio. It's, uh, it's basically take the time to really find out and, and explore what your dominant point is. It matters. Mm -hmm. um, that uh, it's very hard to use the map of the Enneagram if you haven't done that. Mm -hmm. that it, to be patient, you don't get a gold star for figuring it out quickest. <laughs> uh, you know, and many of us have to go through some journeys of seeing through some things before we really get in touch with what it is. But along with what you were just saying, Aranio, just focusing on the core issues of your point, discovering it, seeing how the inner lines operate in you, uh, seeing how you're moving in and out of your fixation and passion. This is where the payoff comes from. And there, there's more to be said, but that, yeah. like, you know, you, you, it, it's not true that it doesn't matter what type you are. Yes. Exactly. Yes. 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 Agreed. Yeah, it helps you focus the work and get farther faster, that's for sure. And I totally agree with what you say. Some people, for some people, finding their type is a process and they need to go through that process. It's not, you know, it's not better to find it quicker. I totally agree. Um, so my number three is to always combine the Enneagram and the, the learning you get from that with things like psychotherapy. Um, the Enneagram is not a standalone tool. Um, yeah. It doesn't do it all by itself. So different kinds of therapy, you know, family constellation work, um, gestalt therapy, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, somatic therapies, different kinds of things, depending on, you know, what, what, what the priority is in the moment. Um, I think we need to embed the Enneagram in different kinds of practices and, and activities like that. Yes. Good. My number two is understand the levels of awareness, both in general and for your own type. I think that studying the nine personalities without having some sort of good model of levels 
is even dangerous. Um, if we don't take into account who we can be or get back to being, then, you know, what for? And understanding that we don't need to change our types to, to be a better self. And, and actually, that's impossible to do. But within type, there are different levels of awareness. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, really important. The vertical component, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, so my... Uh, are we on the fourth one now? Yeah. No, the, the second, yeah. Yeah, we go... We oh, go it's a countdown, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it, this sort of is similar to the things that both of you already said. Um, to hold... Don't get all hung up on just the issue of type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is important. Yeah. But here's the paradox. Here's the counterbalance. You want the context matters. Yes. As Ronnie was saying, understand the laws, understand the context, understand the framework in which your type sits. And you will not go wrong once you found your type, seeing how the other types live out in you too. As you were saying about sloth, you know, I don't have to be a nine to know what sloth is. <laughs> so just once you get your foot in the door, it's, it's meant to open up to a larger and framework in teaching and, and don't get caught in, in typism. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and talking endlessly about type and not really doing the work with type and all the other aspects of the system. Well, we fours are like this. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Okay. What about you? So my number two is, and this is like to help you stay motivated. And I know this has helped me know that it's not easy. Right. And in other words, be ready to feel some pain. Um, the ouchie, as you called it, be ready to stay with the pain of seeing your ego in action and, and seeing what it does to you. And, um, and, and engaging the shadow, really. I think shallower work happens with the Enneagram when people even use it as a way to not encounter their, their deeper pain. Um, and it's, it's the conscious suffering part of the, the hero's journey. It's, it's necessary to have the Enneagram help you see what your deeper pain is so that it can go away, so that you can um, use your personality and it's uh, the pain that it's designed to cover up um, uh, to, to further your path. Um, and, and if you know that it won't be easy, and this is one of the things I like about Gurdjieff, you know, the, the message over and over again is inner work is very difficult and mm. you probably won't be able to get very far. Um, sometimes that can get discouraging, but I think it's really important to know what this project really is all about and that it isn't easy, but that you need to have a high level of commitment and motivation. Good one. So my number one is, uh, make your path a psycho-spiritual one uh, to honor the Enneagram system and to do all the important things that need to be done. Um, well, first, I like that it's called psycho-spiritual and not spiritual cycle. You know, I think <laughs> that there is a wisdom in, you know, knowing the importance of doing good quality psychological work before getting too spiritual. Sometimes I say become human before you become spiritual. 
but um, also I don't like much when people are just happy with becoming human, although it's okay that some do. But if you are all about the Enneagram, it's also becoming spiritual later. And the Enneagram is a big invitation to do both. Um, and I think that that also, um, you know, links is linked to doing both the line of being and the line of knowing as part of inner work, uh, like learning how to be uh, and, and, you know, just seeing what comes from it, but also knowing and working on all the, the psyche uh, aspects of that. Great. Important. What's your number one, Russ? My number one is seek always to find a balance between the flower and the sword. Ah. Compassion for yourself and ruthless honesty with yourself. Mm. Beautiful. It requires cultivation of heart. Mm -hmm. And the other requires the willingness to see the truth no matter what it is. Mm. And that entails, as you were saying, learning some things that I didn't know before, both in terms of the teachings, but also in terms of myself. So that, that it's presence that gives us the capacity to balance the compassion and the ruthless honesty, that, that which holds and that which cuts through the delusions. So not a new idea, but if you're going to work with the Enneagram, you need that beginning, middle, and end. Thank Beautiful. you for that one. Beautiful. That's so well put. Um, my number one is um, it's a collective work that um, you need to ask for help and it really mm-hmm. helps to do it with others. As Gurdjieff said, alone one man can do nothing. Um, and we sometimes talk about regrouping, like when you're really on a path and really using the Enneagram at a deep level. First of all, it's, it's important to be talking about it and getting feedback from others. And also we go farther faster when we go together. So uh, if there are people in your life who aren't on a path and you notice that they, you don't feel good when you're around them, doesn't mean you have to get rid of them from your life, but it may mean that you just are, are conscious of a certain protection that you need or a certain distance at times and that you do come closer to people who are doing the work because they can inspire you, they can support you, they can... Um, be friends on the path. Mm-hmm. And we want to really thank you, Russ, for being a friend on the path to us. Um, yeah. That it's been such a pleasure having you here with us for yeah. these two episodes. Both a joy and an honor. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you. You honor me to have me on with you. And I always have a wonderful time when I'm in your company. May there be more. Yes, um, yes, yes. Yes, and we thank all you out there for listening to this very special conversation with Russ Hudson. Join us again next time uh, for the Enneagram 2.0 podcast, where we talk about all things Enneagram.